Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Lord, help us now as we get into your word, that we would magnify you above everything, that we would know that you are great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter number one in your Bibles this morning. You can be seated. Philippians chapter number one. Thank you for this morning for the music. Phenomenal music this morning. I love the variety of music at our church. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. We have a very multi-generational church. How many of you been going to Open Bible for over 20 years? Over 20 years. Let me see. Okay, look at all those hands. Let's give these folks a hand. Give all these folks a hand that have been going to Open Bible. How many of you going here 10 years or less? 10 years or less? Okay, several more. Several years. Five years or less? Five years or less? Maybe the last three years or so? A few in the back the last three years or so. Okay, good. Look at these folks. We have such a multi-generational church. And that's a healthy church. Because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be reaching into every generation. And every generation does different things, right? Every generation does different things. My grandma's 97 years old. She grew up just a few houses down from me. So by the time I was two, my grandmother was living four houses down from me. So I had a built-in babysitter in my life. It was my grandmother. How many of you can relate to that? There's a whole family over here that can. That's good. Okay, so listen. So my grandmother was a built-in babysitter. My grandma, she does things differently. Do you know what my grandma has in her bedroom? She has one of those phones that you still have to go. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have no clue what I'm talking about, right? That's different, right? That's different. Now what do we do? We carry our phones around in our pocket, right? Some of us do. My grandmother does things differently. My grandmother for over 20 years drove the exact same car for over 24 years. It was a massive blue car. I don't even know what it was called. It was just really old and kind of smelly on the inside, and there was no seatbelts. Okay, so I knew this is an old car, right? My grandma did things differently. My parents are in their 60s. My parents are in their 60s, and my parents, they do things differently. I have three sisters. We're all 18 months apart. Even the three sisters and us, we, we do things differently. Why? Because generationally, people do things differently. But the beauty of a church that is healthy is when all the generations can come together and say, we love Jesus. We love the same God. We're going to the same place. We're going with the same intent. We're going with the same love and the same Calvary and the same resurrection. And we can be united in that. Amen. I love the variety of music at our church. It was just so good today. I haven't sang What a Fred and We Have in Jesus in a long time, but those words, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I love the fact that he says, uh, 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 no matter what we need, take it to the Lord in prayer. I love the first song we did. He is the everlasting God. I love that last song we did. Man, everything we are, our breath in our lungs, it's Jesus. Jesus is in our lungs. Man, I just, I just love the music today. It was just really, really good. I don't often get to sit and listen. I always am up here doing it. And so getting to listen to you guys sing from, from that perspective is always a blessing to my heart. We're going to be in the book of Philippians today. We've been in the book of Philippians all summer long. Uh, Philippians chapter 
number one. Philippians chapter number one. You ready to get into it today? Good, let's do it. How many of you like Starbucks? All right, I knew I was in Jersey, so not very many of you would. So, because this is, this is Wawa. This is Wawa country, okay? So when I came here, the uh, first person I talked to Wawa about was Will McDonald. And I asked Will, I was like, so what do you get? What do you, what do you get? He's like, well, I, you know, I go to Starbucks every once in a while. But he said this, he says, but by this time, I got Wawa like pumping through my veins, you know, pumping through my veins because he just drinks Wawa coffee all the time. I like Starbucks. I do. I like Wawa too. I like it. Honestly, I like it for the convenience. I, I like it for the price. And I like it for the, the flavors that change throughout the season. They have blueberry cobbler in the summer. They just brought out, listen, this is a little premature, but they just brought out pumpkin spice, Okay. We're my pumpkin spice people. That's good. Hey, Starbucks on Tuesday is coming out with the pumpkin spice latte. All is well in the world again. Somebody say amen to that. If you're not a Starbucks person, that's okay. This message is not all about Starbucks. This message is about the Bible. But I just want to get your mind thinking before we get into the Bible this morning. So I went to Starbucks this morning. I don't usually go to Starbucks on Sunday, but I knew I was going to do this illustration. And I just wanted to have the cup so that you can visualize what I'm talking about. Starbucks is a company that started in early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and in, er, in 2003, Starbucks was on its first peak of their climb. It's very likely that their corporate ego was also peaking. They were saying to themselves, we can do anything. Uh, but just as they hit their peak, somehow their corporate arrogance got the best of them, and they decided that they are bigger than just coffee. So they created their own recording company and started to record music. It was pretty successful. It won eight Grammys two years later. In 2006, Starbucks launched their first movie. And then they started to partner with different people, and they started to scout out for book deals and for film deals. And finally, Starbucks opened Starbucks Entertainment right on the border of Burbank, California, and Los Angeles. And so their whole idea was that Starbucks wanted to become this third place in people's life. They have home, they have work, and then they have Starbucks. All their music, all their movies, all their coffee, all their everything, all their hangout was all at Starbucks. Starbucks had a very hard time staying focused on what they did best, make a great cup of coffee. By 2008, the lack of focus had caught up with them, and the most loyal customers of Starbucks were seeing cracks in service and in quality, and were beginning to choose the local coffee establishments who were solely focused on making a great cup of coffee. That was early in my generation when all these local coffee shops started popping up everywhere. And now, all of you that are around my age, we go to a city, and what do we Yelp, or what do we Google? We say coffee shops or pastry shops. Why? Because in about 2008, 2009, all these started popping up all over the place, and we want to check them out. And so Starbucks, in that time, when they were trying to do all these other things, they cut 18,000 jobs, they closed 977 stores, and they were down 7% from all sales over one year. Stock price fell from, to $7.83, listen to this, from $39.63 one year previous. The Starbucks brand was in complete freefall. It was completely and totally shattering all that they had built. And people were seriously starting to wonder, is Starbucks going to make it? In 2009, Starbucks refocused on what their objective was. Coffee. They had no choice. Every turnaround story started with, okay, what do we do best? In fact, this is what Starbucks did to make it, this is what we do best. We do coffee. For one day in 2009, they closed every store all across the, the nation's. And they did one whole day of training for their employees because they knew they needed to get everything back on track or that they were going to lose all that they had built because their focus was wrong. 
Following the comeback by 2014, Starbucks sales were up 58% from 2008. The current Starbucks stock price was at $75 in 2014. Those of you that are are investment gurus, you're doing math in your head right now. If you would have invested $10,000 in 2008, your investment would have been worth $95,000 by the year 2014. That's a great return on investment. Why? Because these people got focused. Let me ask you the question this morning. Where is your focus? This world is vying for our focus at every single turn. Consumerism, the news media, our families, which is a good thing, our events, they're all vying for our focus. Technology is a great gift, but technology can oftentimes vie for our focus. Friendship is a great gift, but friendship can often suck up a lot of our focus away from our family. Where is your focus right now in August of 2021? If you were to boil everything down in your life and you were to take your checkbook and you were to take your calendar and you were to take all the things that you have coming up in this fall and you were to evaluate every single one of those things, if we were to look at it just at a very unbiased opinion, if we were to look at all of it, where would we see your focus lying? This morning when we get to Philippians chapter number one, we see the Apostle Paul. Remember, we've been talking about this. The Apostle Paul was in prison. The Apostle Paul was destitute. The Apostle Paul was going through an extremely difficult emotional and physical struggle. And as he was going through this extremely difficult emotional and physical struggle, he starts to write this letter to the church of Philippi, a church that he dearly loved. A a church that we looked at last time we spoke that was started by a bunch of different misfit people that all came together under one focus, and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to these people, and in this letter we see the heart behind Paul's focus. And today from Philippians chapter 1, I want you to see this, that God wants you to maintain the correct focus in your life. God wants you to maintain the correct focus in your life. When everything around you is distracting you, you can know what to focus on. When it seems like all is lost, you can know what to focus on. Because Paul showed us in Philippians chapter number 1, Would you pray with me, Lord, help us now as we get into this passage. I pray that you fill me with your spirit. I pray that you give me power this morning. I pray that the hearts that hear this message today would be soft. Lord, I pray that as we open your word that we would just look at the truth from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look with me at verse number 12 of Philippians chapter number 1, if you would, this morning. The Bible says this, Paul writing, he says, But I would that ye should understand, brothers, or brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. Paul's present circumstance was definitely not a desirable one. Paul was in prison. The prison that he was in was one that we would consider to be a maximum security prison if it were in today's terms. Paul would have been chained 24 hours a day Paul would have had no interaction with the outside world. He would have had no conversations with the outside world. In fact, the history tells us that Paul probably would have been chained to a guard. 
He would have been chained to somebody else who was watching him all the time. He was watching every move he made. He was watching every, every piece of food that he ate. He was watching every time Paul had to do anything, this guard was chained to him. And as Paul and this guard spent time together, Paul became deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into his thought process, why am I here? And when he came to verse number 12, he tells us that as he's trying to console the people of Philippi, he tells us, he says, look, but I would that you should understand, why is this happening to me? For the furtherance of the gospel. Number one, we see this this morning, that Paul focused on the mission more than he focused on his circumstances. Paul focused on the mission more than he focused on his circumstances. See, Paul knew that God had called him to preach the gospel. We know the story, hopefully some of us do, of Paul. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was a, somebody who was a murderer of people who followed after Jesus Christ. In fact, very publicly, people knew him as somebody who would have taken people that followed after uh, Christendom or, or Jesus Christ and his message of hope, and he would have really viciously murdered them. And Paul became, or Saul became a leader in that movement. And one day, God met with Saul on the road, and he looked at Saul, and with a bright light, blinded Saul, and called Saul into gospel ministry. And he said, Saul, I'm not only taking you out of your circumstance of killing other people, I'm completely transforming your life, and I'm now taking you from Saul, and you will now be known as Paul. By the way, when God gets a hold of somebody's life, he changes everything about them. Can you say amen to that? When God gets a hold of a sinner's heart, God takes a sinner who is destitute for hell, who has no hope of a future, and he pulls them from that destitute of hell. The Bible in Corinthians says it this way, that he puts off an old man, and he puts on a new man, and he starts to walk in that new man. He's completely transformed. God did that to Paul because he wanted Paul to be a preacher of the gospel. Paul had no clue when God called him out of his terrible life of sin what his next steps were going to be. Paul had no clue what God was going to take him through. Paul had no clue that he was going to travel in the entire world and start church after church after church after church. Paul had no clue that guys like Timothy, guys like Titus would be looking up to him in ministry. He had no clue what his future held, but he knew that God was transforming his heart. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but if God is working on your heart, the time is now to yield to God, say yes to him, and start to follow after his plan. And when Paul was here, he said, God, your plan for me is prison. Your plan for me is being chained to a guard. Your plan for me is having no privacy. Your plan for me is to be in a place that I don't want to be. And if anybody ever had the right to wallow in his circumstances, it was the Apostle Paul. If anybody ever had the, the right, if I can say it that way, to have self-pity upon what he was going through, it was the Apostle Paul. If anybody could have fallen into a deep depression, it was the Apostle Paul. If anybody could have had emotional and mental breakdown, it was the Apostle Paul at this time in his ministry. But what did Paul choose to do? Paul chose to focus on the mission more than he focused on his circumstances. 
And when he writes to the church of Philippi, he's saying, look, church, let me, let me tell you something. Okay, the things that happened unto me, they're not good things. They're pretty difficult, actually. He doesn't write and say, hey, church of Philippi, the things which happened unto me are hunky-dory. Oh, and by the way, the gospel's going forward. He doesn't say, church of Philippi, you know, I'm good. Don't send me anything. Don't send Epaphroditus with gifts anymore. I'm fine. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he says the very opposite. He says, look, the things which happened unto me, they've fallen out. They've happened. They've free-falled, if I can say it that way. Why? So that the gospel can go forward. My friend, can I tell you today that your present circumstance is an opportunity for the gospel to go forward? The heartache that you feel, the loneliness that you experience, the disappointment that you know in your heart and mind is an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. But oftentimes, we lose our focus. And we began to place our focus on the circumstance that God has ordained instead of the reason that God has ordained the circumstance. And when we lose our focus on the mission of Jesus Christ, and we lose our focus on the fact that the gospel is everything and everything else is secondary, what happens to us? We become, like I just said, in depression, in despair, in angst, in anxiety, in heaviness. And we can't live a life like God's calling us to in Philippians of joy and rejoicing because our focus is misplaced. Our focus is not on the gospel. Our focus is on our circumstance. Am I saying that circumstances are not difficult? No, I believe, especially in this room, knowing some of your stories, that circumstances can be extremely challenging. But you can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances when you choose to focus. Listen, it's a choice. A choice to focus on the mission of God more than the agony and the hurt than you're going through right now in your life. I was talking to a dear sister here at the church not that long ago. Me and my wife both were. And she shared a story with us. I thought it was so good. I needed to share it this morning. But she talked about her present circumstance being one that was unplanned and maybe not as desirable as they would have. Now listen, this sister, she, you know, she said her desirable circumstance was not to go to Clearwater, Florida. I struggle with that one because I would enjoy going to Clearwater, Florida for a few days. I don't know if you can relate with that in the room, but it's pretty nice down there in Clearwater, Florida. And she said, you know, our plan was never to go to Clearwater, Florida. We wanted to go some other places, but God just kept telling us, you know, go to vacation on Clearwater. Go to vacation in Clearwater. Go to vacation in Clearwater. So I said, okay, we'll go to vacation in Clearwater. She began to tell us a story. She didn't know why they had to go there, but they went there. Her and her husband went out to dinner one night, and it became very clear why God had them in Clearwater, Florida. She said, I can't remember all the details, but either coming in or going out of dinner that night, they ran into this young couple, and they began to strike up a conversation with this young couple. And as they stroke up a conversation with this young couple, they began to get into this conversation about the things of the Lord. And over a period of moments, they were able to take this young couple through the entire gospel plan. And from what I understand, they trusted Jesus Christ as, a sa as their Savior. And one of these church members now sends them a Bible to be able to help them in their walk with Jesus Christ. That is why they were in Clearwater, Florida that day. Can you say amen to that? And instead of focusing on the circumstance, well, you know, I guess we'll go on vacation here. We don't really want to go on vacation here, but God's leading it that way, so, so we'll go on it. But, you know, we're not going to have that good time. We're just going to kind of keep to ourselves. We're not going to talk to anybody. No, they, what they did is they said our focus is on sharing the gospel more than it's doing anything else. And somebody trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And there's nothing better than that, folks. Nothing better than that. He focused 
on the gospel, the mission, more than he focused on his present circumstances. He continues in this chapter, he says in verse 13, he says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He also focused on the mission and not his plan. He focused on the mission and not his plan. You know what I think we do sometimes? I think that we have a plan, we make the plan, then ask God to bless the plan, and then get mad at God if he changes our plan. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, look, this present circumstance is not desirable whatsoever. This wasn't my plan. In fact, in fact Paul writes in a couple of the other letters and later on in this letter that he really wanted to go to a couple other churches. He wanted to go to the Asia. He wanted to go to a couple other churches that he'd already been to and kind of revisit them. His plan was not to be sitting in a Roman prison cell. But he understood that it wasn't about Paul's plan. It was about the mission. It was about what God had for Paul. Look what Paul says. He says this. He uses this word. It's called prokope. That's the word in the original language, prokope. It means the word advancement. Advancement. That's what he said in the end of verse 12, leading into verse 13. Remember, not Paul's plan. God's plan for Paul was to pave the way for the gospel to go forward at the palace. In Greek culture, the Greeks would have fought in long rows of military armies. They would have had probably 15 to 25 uh, soldiers in a row, and they would have had a shield, a sword, and a spear. And as they walked forward, they would take step after step after step and then strike. And step after step after step and then strike. And then as people fell off, the people in the back would just fill in. That's the way the Greeks fought their war. Well, this word prokope is a word for somebody who would have been in an advanced team for the Greek army. So what did they do? They would go ahead of where the army was attacking that day, and they would cut down bushes, and they would cut down trees, and they would clear a path forward so that the army could go forward. And the word that Paul uses as he writes for advancement is literally that word of, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a way forward so that the mission can be advanced. And he says, if I have to do that at the palace, even though it's not my plan, I understand that it's what God wants for my life. And in verse 13, we see that because he focused on the mission and not his own plan, he looked at the situation and he said, the gospel is now known among all of these guards at the palace and among other places. Because Paul leaned into what God was doing in his life, the gospel got to a place that would have never been before. Paul had no ability to get into the prison and talk to those guards without being a prisoner. Paul had no ability to get into the palace and be influential in the palace, even in prison, without being a prisoner. And Paul's plan from God was to be in prison. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God's plan is actually something difficult for us? Can you believe that God's plan is something that makes us feel like the world around us is going to fall apart? Can you believe that God's plan for us would cause us physical pain? Can you believe that God's plan for us can cause us emotional hurt? See, Paul knew that, yeah, I don't want to be here in this prison cell, but God wants me here. And Paul said, I'm going to lean into the mission of God more than my plan. Let me ask you this morning, if everything about your life was stripped away except for you, your Bible, and your church, would you still be able to move forward? 
If the answer is no, then I would evaluate your heart and ask, is my plan more important than God's plan? If God were to put you somewhere that you would never expect to be, want to be, or have any desire to be, would you be yielded to it? If you say, no, 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 I, w- I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that, because my plan's more important. Then ask yourself to evaluate yourself this morning and ask yourself, does the mission matter most to me, or does my plan matter most to me? Plans can help us to advance. But every plan we make in this life, like Paul says here, we must make, like I say, with open hands. Man, my plan, it's pretty good. It's got a decent structure. Typed it in on a pretty outline. But even though I have this plan, I say to God, God, whatever you want with this plan is, there you go. God, I'd like to go talk to these churches, but okay, change in a prison cell, fine. I'll do what I can here to advance the gospel. Whenever life goes off script for you, off plan for you, look for opportunities to use that plan that God is allowing to happen in your life to further the gospel, to advance the gospel. My heart was heavy this week as I saw these pictures coming out of Afghanistan. And as I read through my Facebook feed about different churches and church leaders and missionaries and how difficult it is for them over there, I can't even begin to imagine. Honestly, I can't. But as I was preparing for this, I was thinking to myself, God, these people are following you. They've been sharing the gospel faithfully. They've built a church. They have disciples that are making disciples. And yet you're allowing this to happen to them. And they are literally living out what Paul had to live out here and say, well, this isn't our plan. We would never want this. But obviously God is at work. And so we want the mission to go forward. If you were to put yourself in their shoes this morning, could you say the same about you? That no matter the plan, whether you can understand it or not, whether you like it or not, that, you know what, fine, God, I'll let the mission go forward. Paul focused on the mission more than he focused on his own plan. Look at verse 15 with me. Or 14 with me. What was the result of that? And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds... Listen to these next couple words. Are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen, because Paul was willing to advance the gospel in the palace. And with the Roman guard, there were other Christians around him that said, you know what? I can do it too. You know what? God's calling me to it as well. You see, when God interrupts your plan and you focus on the mission more than the plan, you don't only help yourself but you help the body of Christ go forward in courage. Man, I love studying the history of what we believe in Christianity. You know why? Because it's a history full of people that said, I'm going to do God's plan. I'm going to live God's plan. I'm going to live according to God's plan. And we sit here today because soldiers of Christ did that in yesteryear. And you folks that are sitting in this room today, now you have the opportunity to say, because I'm going to follow the mission and not my plan, the gospel will go forward. 
and Jesus will be exalted, and other Christians that are under us right now in the children's wing, other Christians that met together for youth group on Wednesday night, younger Christians that are coming up in our college and career ministry are be going to look at what you do during this time and look what you're doing with the plan that God has dealt with you, and they're going to decide, am I going to do this thing too, or am I bailing? Am I going to do this thing too? Because I want to see how they react. I want to see how they go through this difficult time. I want to see how they focus on the mission more than anybody else. And listen, my friend, our focus on the mission and not our own plan will pave the way for future generations to continue to speak the gospel of truth into a world that needs it. And so as you make your plans, let God be the center of those plans. God, what do you want here? What do you see here? What are you moving here? I don't understand that, but God, I'm going to lean into it. Why? Because it's your plan. It's your mission. It's your desires, not my own. And Paul hated being in prison. I can guarantee you that. But he found joy in Christ. Why? Because he focused on the mission that God had for him more than the plan that he had set forth. In verse 15 and 16, we see this. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add, listen to this word, affliction to my bond. What was happening here? Well, in Galatians, we see that Paul condemned a false gospel being preached, a false gospel. His tone is very different when he gets to Philippians 1, though, because he's the one that trained these people in Philippi. He knew that their gospel was a good gospel. But what was happening is he's saying, I'm sitting in prison, I'm chained, I can't go anywhere, and there are people that are continuing to preach the gospel, but they're doing it in envy. They're doing it with strife. They're doing it and they're adding affliction to my bonds. He's talking about emotional affliction. He's already feeling physically hurt. And then he finds out about this. This is what was happening. There were people that Paul had trained up in the church, that had discipled, that he probably had led to the Lord, that he probably taught about who God was. And Paul, they saw the gifting that Paul had. They saw the purpose that Paul had. They saw the platform that Paul was given. And what did they do? They thought to themselves, Paul's in prison? Now's our chance to make a name for ourselves. And he says that they're preaching the gospel. It's a good gospel, but they're preaching it with envy of what Paul had done and strife, saying we're better than him. It's pretty heavy what Paul says here. It's pretty hurtful, honestly, to Paul's spirit. Because Paul, remember, he loved these people. It was a healthy church. But the people in this church were looking out for number one before anybody else. Not everybody. He even says some preach it of goodwill. They preach it with a pure heart. But there were several people in the church, if you study history, that were preaching the gospel. It was a good gospel, but they were preaching it with all the wrong motives. We, today we would say it this way. They were preaching it to build their platform, to, to grow their following. And Paul was stricken with hurt, deep hurt, but look at his response. Look at his response. That's a very negative thing, right? But look at what Paul's response was. He says this in verse 18. 
after he says these people are preaching the gospel with the wrong motives, he says in verse 18, what then? Does it really matter? Notwithstanding every way, it really doesn't matter. It's no big deal. That's what he's saying there. Whether in pretense with self-ambition, that's what that word means, whether in pretense or in truth, he's talking about with a pure heart. Look at what, what Paul says. Christ is preached and I there and do rejoice. And then he doubles down and he says, and I will rejoice. Paul focused on the mission. He didn't focus on the negative. But Paul focused on the mission, not the negative. This world is full of negativity. We've got the negativity police all over the place. Loom and gloom, the world is over, things are lost, everybody is terrible, get the shot or you're all going to die, get this or you're all going to die, get that or you're all going to die. It's negative, 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 negative Nellies all over the place. And I'm not here to talk about one way or the other, I'm not, I don't care what you do honestly, but the fact of the matter is, the whole world is negative. And they're filling our minds with negative narratives They're filling our minds with caustic attitudes. They are vilifying people against each other. And the problem that comes is, look, it's infiltrated the church. And we've stopped focusing on the mission. And over 2021, we started to focus on, well, are you wearing a mask or are you not wearing a mask? Are you vaccinated or are you not vaccinated? Years ago was, are you going to this college or are you going to this college? Do you sing these songs or do you sing those songs? Or do you read this book or that? All these things were negative and they were being poured into the church. And Paul says, what are you doing? I don't care how it happens, whether in pretense with self-ambition or in truth, Christ is preached. And the fact is, we need to be people that say, look, we're going to stop focusing on all the negative stuff because there's a lot of it. There's negativity all over the place. And what's going to be attractive to a world that is lost and dying and going to hell is a group of people that say, we're not going to be negative Nellies and we're not going to live in loom and gloom and doom. We're going to live for one purpose and that's the mission of getting Jesus to a lost and dying world. And Paul says to these folks, I don't care how it happens, honestly. I'm tired of fighting about how it happens. I'm just glad that this book's going forward. I'm glad that people are preaching the gospel, amen? I may not agree, and I may not see it the same way, but at least Jesus is being exalted above all. I wonder today, do you find yourself in gloom and doom and despair because your mind is completely and totally encapsulated with the negative around you. Do you look at a situation and the first thing that you see is the problems with it instead of the glory of God in it? Do you hear the news and think, well, all is lost? When that hurt and that betrayal comes up, do you focus on how nasty it was? Or do you focus on the fact that, well, grace of God got me through it. We ought to be people that focus on the mission of the gospel more than we focus on the negative. Continue in verse 18 with me if you would. He says, look, I don't care how it happens. I'm just glad God's preached. I don't care if it's in pretense or in truth. I'm just just glad 
God preached. And he says, I'm going to rejoice. Oh, I wanted you to see this. And he also says, and I will rejoice. He makes the choice to rejoice. It wasn't easy. He chose to do it. In verse 19, he says this, for I know this, that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. What is shame? Shame is the little child who stands up here and forgets possibly their lines in the program. And they're like, what am I supposed to say? Shame is that time that you thought you were supposed to be there at this time and you showed up at a different time. Shame is that moment when you're caught red-handed. And Paul said, I don't want to be ashamed in anything. I'm going to live pure and holy. I don't want to be ashamed in anything. Look what he says now. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also, listen to what he says. Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Test. This is an important part of the message. The devil doesn't want you to hear it. That was funny. <laughs> he says this. He says, look, whether it be by life or death, I want Christ to be magnified. I want Christ to be exalted. What did we already see this morning? We saw that he focused on the mission, not his circumstances. He focused on the mission, not his own plan. We focused on the mission, not the negative. But look at this, just plain and simple this morning in these last two verses. Paul focused on the mission above everything else. Remember, he was in prison. Remember, time where he didn't know if he was going to make it or not, and he was in verse 20 and 21, literally vying in his heart and mind, am I going to live or am I going to die? Am I going to make it out of this prison cell with life in my lungs, or am I going to live, leave this prison cell with death in my Contemplating all that God had allowed him to do up until this point. He's contemplating where God had allowed him to go up until this point. And he gets to this place and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He says, look, according to my expectation and my hope, I'm really hoping that everything works out okay. But he says that it doesn't matter if it works out for good or for bad. If I live or if I die, Christ will be magnified in my body. He says, I don't care if I stay the rest of this time in my prison cell. I don't care if I stay the rest of this time chained to this Roman guard. I don't care if I spend the rest of my days in total and utter defeat. If Christ is magnified, nothing else matters. Our lives need to be marked by the mission of Jesus above 
everything else. Why? Because at the end of the day, whether we live or whether we die, it doesn't matter how much money's in the bank, how big the house is, how successful the business was, how great my kids look, how talented I am, how wonderful people think that I am. The only thing that matters is did I magnify Jesus Christ in all that I do? Why? Because every knee's going to bow like we talked about before and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord and God's not going to ask on that day well how much did you make? How successful was the business? Did the kids do good in sports? What is he going to ask? What did you do for the cause of Christ and to magnify the name of Jesus above every name? And Paul understood that it didn't matter what happened to Paul whether his plans came to fruition, whether people talked bad about him, whether people said things that weren't true about him. He didn't care if the mission or the people were being negative and nasty. He didn't care if his plans didn't come to fruition. He didn't care about his circumstance that he was sitting in. All he cared about was the gospel. And my friend, I was challenged in my heart this week. Are we a church that cares about the gospel above every single thing else? Why? Because nothing else really matters that much. And when you're focused on the fact that Jesus came and he suffered and he died and he rose again so that he could take away your sin and so that he could take away my sin and that's so we could spend eternity with him, everything else becomes so much less important. And our relationships began to blossom. Why? Because it's not you against me or her against her or him against him or side against side. No, we're one in this thing. And it doesn't matter if we live together or if we die together, we're going to preach Jesus. And we're going to magnify God above everything else. And Paul's trying to pour out to the Philippian church here. He's saying, look, folks, don't worry about me. You know why? Because if I live or die, at least Christ was magnified. Is that your heartbeat today? If he took it all away, I think of the story of Job. Test my servant Job, see what he does takes away his fame, takes away his fortune, takes away his family, takes away his everything. He let his own wife be turned against him. And he says, just curse God and die. And Paul, or Job says to his wife, he says, look, God gives. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Today's the day that some of you stop wallowing in your circumstances and you start stepping out in faith so that the mission can go forward. Today's the day that you start putting your own plans aside and you start looking at what Jesus has for your life and you start to say, God, I know I have this plan, but what do you want for me? What's your mission for me? What's your plan for me? Some of these things that I've been thinking about, today's the day that some of you put the negativity aside and you start matter what happens around me or what's said about me or where the world is going downhill. It doesn't matter what happens overseas or here at home. You're going to be magnified in all that I do. And I set this negativity aside. Why? Because the mission is everything. And the gospel is more important than all of that stuff. And today's the day that some of you need to take the time between you and your God to make the decision to say, I've been doing this I have not been living this way. I've been living totally opposite to how Paul was living. I've been living in a way that what I want matters most. I've been living in a way that what my plan is matters most. I've been living as a victim to my own circumstances. I've been living in a place where the negativity is bearing down upon my soul and on my spirit. And today in the name of Jesus is your day to release that to the eternity, to release that to God and to say if I live or if I die, I'm going to magnify magnify Christ. Why? Because the last verse is true. 21. For to 
is Christ. And to die is gain. It's that, folks. It's already Christ. This, this is already his plan. Ready his purpose. This is already his doing, not mine. This is already his grace, not my goodness. This is already his mercy, not my miraculousness. This is already God. So for me to live is God. It's God working, God moving. And for me to die is to be with my God. It's to spend eternity worshiping him. But some of us live scared to die because for me to live is not Christ. And today is the day that some of us need to refocus our lives and say, you know what? What happens around me or to me or through me? Why? Because Christ is preached and I do rejoice. Because my body is to magnify Christ. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Is that your focus today? With every head bowed and every eyes closed, let me ask you this question. Did the write this letter to the church just so that we could read it and do nothing with it? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church so that 2,000 years later we could see the spirit of it and that we could change what's going on in our own heart to match what's going on in the spirit of the Apostle. And I believe this with all my heart. Say, so why do you believe it, Brother Rich? Because it's something I had to do this week. Many times. I believe this with all my heart that some of us today in this room need to give the circumstance to God, need to give the negativity to God, need to give the plan to God, and need to say that I focus on the mission of the gospel more than anything else. And we need to readopt the heartbeat that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.